0: Well, this morning, brothers and sisters, we are uh, we're continuing our series on Dwelling with Philippians. Um, if you have not taken the time or have not had the time to read through the entire uh, book of Philippians, which is not really that long, it's only like four or five chapters or whatever it is, it's not really that long. Uh, if you have not had the chance to read through it at one sitting, I would encourage you to do so. And if you have a study Bible... A Bible that tells you some of the background and story of um, of the Book of Philippians. I would encourage you to read some of that background too. It's always interesting and informative. In order to really understand what Scripture is saying to us, we need to first understand what Scripture was saying to the people to whom it was first written. So we are continuing our series, and today we are talking uh, through philippians chapter 3 verses 15 to 21 uh, eager hope and it's interesting because we're going to start off with um what may not sound all that much like eager hope but we'll get there so uh let us read uh the scriptures you can uh pull out your pew bibles and follow along or if you can read the screen um i think that's probably big enough for many of us um Let us hear what the scriptures say. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. Now, now we need to be careful with that passage or that little section there, right? Paul is talking about people being unified in Christ and being of the same mind. And remember, we want to be careful not to confuse being uh, unified with being uniform, right? Um, Paul is not really saying here, when, when he says, this too God will reveal to you, um, he is not necessarily saying that he will reveal to you the correct answer to whatever theological question you're looking for. And therefore, uh, you will be able to convince everybody else to agree with you on this point of doctrine. That, that's not necessarily what Paul is saying. What, what Paul is saying there is that when there are differences among you, because there will be, when there are differences among you... Pray about it, talk about it, wrestle through it. Yes, absolutely. Do so in love and humility. And as you are praying about it, God will reveal to you how you ought to relate to one another. And in some instances will reveal to you what, what God is really saying through scriptures. That may sound more complicated than it really is. But let's say we disagree about baptism, right? Um, You think that baptism should only happen for uh, believers, those who have come to know Jesus, who are of an age, whatever age that may be, who can understand what salvation in Jesus Christ means in a way appropriate to their age. And I believe that children of believers like uh, we had this morning ought to be baptized, right? Well... Gwyneth and I, when we were when we were first uh, expecting a child, when we were expecting Kieran, um, and you know long before that too, but we really got into debating and deciding about uh, whether we believed in infant baptism or paedo baptism, as it is called sometimes, or uh, believers' baptism, and uh, Gwyneth having been raised in a Baptist home. Um, she believed very much in uh, believer's baptism only. Um, I, having been raised in a um, Christian Reformed hope, home, believed in, believed in infant baptism as well as believer's baptism, obviously depending on whether you had been baptized before or not. Anyways, we decided to do research and, uh, in the opposite view to what we had. So Gwyneth did all kinds of theological, biblical research on infant baptism. And I did all kinds of research on um, believers' baptism. Not to prove each other wrong, but to really know and understand the other person's side of things and where they were coming from. And the conclusion that we came to was not, oh, this one's the right one. No, no. No it was the conclusion we came to was that you could make a pretty darn good biblical case either way, right? So we didn't end up with uniformity. We ended up with unity, though, because we recognized that there was a good case to be made either way. And God led us to a way through that by helping us to see that 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 these are not heresies on either side, but rather that these are legitimate ways that in good conscience, Christ followers can live out their faith. And, and so as we were living in a Christian Reformed context, uh, we decided um, out of love and honor and respect for that context, did recognition of um, the, the biblical strength of the covenant baptism, Baptist argument of, uh, infant baptism and out of love for one another and for our children we would baptize our daughter as an infant and we baptized all our other kids as infants too not because we are convinced that that's the only right way to do it but because god showed us how to love one another in that difference yeah make sense okay so that's more what paul is talking about here now, it could very well be also that there may be occasions wherein God says, no, no, okay, this is, this is a hard line, right? If you start denying that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, right, then, then you may have to say, okay, we love you very much. Because we love you, we, we have to stand here and say, Jesus is the Son of God. And there is salvation only through him, right? But you're going to discern those things together as you work them out in fear and trembling, as Paul talked about earlier. Anyways, brothers and sisters, Paul continues, uh, oh, and let us hold fast to what we have attained, right? That, that is the knowledge of the gospel, the heart of the gospel, holding fast to that. Not, not holding fast to the traditions and the humanly constructed things. Right? That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about holding fast to the gospel, the good news, right? Uh, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. Join in imitating me and uh, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. And, and this is really important. I, I'm not saying this about me, but uh, just, you should. You need to imitate Paul. You, you need to also discerningly imitate other Christ followers, insofar as they follow Jesus, right? And, and this is this is delicate and difficult. Partly because we can start thinking that somebody is worth imitating. And then find out later that, that all along they had been leading a tremendously corrupt life. And that can be a real problem. We can also be sucked into personality, a cult of personality, where, where we hold someone up as if they were perfection. And, and so we blindly follow them um, even when they lead us down wrong paths. And that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is not talking about, you know, follow me because I got it perfect. Paul is not wanting to set up a cult of personality. Paul is wanting people to follow him insofar as he follows Jesus. And to, in addition, look around and follow those people, observe those people who are doing like. For us, this has meant, right, that parents, our parents are people who have sought to follow Jesus Christ um, throughout their lives, right? Not perfectly, right? They're human beings just like we are, but we seek to learn from them. In in the years as our children grow up, in some ways we learn more about um, Jesus through them as well. What they are learning and growing in. So, hold on to the example that you have, according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation so that it may be conformed to the body of His glory by the power that also enables Him to make all things Subject to himself. The word of the Lord. Amen. Notice the theme here, right? Um, The enemies of the cross of Christ, Paul actually describes them pretty specifically. And and I'm not sure that they are exactly who we might think they are. Because the enemies of the cross of Christ are are really, when it comes down to it, hedonists and materialists in a lot of ways, right? When, When Paul says their God is the belly, right? what is he talking about other than people who are looking out for their own fulfillment, right? Give me yummy food, give me good wine, give me a party, give me good entertainment, right? The people who are looking only for pleasure. And, and and why is that bad? Why is that bad? It's not bad because pleasure is bad. If pleasure was bad, we should never have left the place where the Christian Reformed Church said, Oh, no, don't go to movies. Never ever go to movies. Don't play cards. Never ever play cards. Don't ride your bicycle on Sunday. Right? Because pleasure is something to be avoided. If pleasure was bad, we would still be sort of implying at least to our children growing up that sex is is dirty and bad in all circumstances. And that you just, you might have to do it in order to have kids, but... Right? But that's, that's, none of that is true. So it's not the pleasure that's the problem. What's the problem? The problem is that they are replacing God with pleasure. Pleasure, their own pleasure, becomes their God. They worship enjoyment. in the the book, The Lord of the Rings. Uh, Anybody read The Lord of the Rings? Okay, good, a few of you. Excellent, good. More of you should read it. Anyways, in the book, uh, The Lord of the Rings, there is a creature called Shelob. And Shelob is this gigantic spider being who uh, exudes like, like almost ink like an octopus that makes darkness. Right? It's like a cloudy sort of ink that emits darkness. And Shelob Shelob is always hungry. She is constantly hungry. She wants to, if she could, fill herself with everything in the universe. Consuming it all and covering it with darkness alone. So that all that remains is Shelob. This is ultimately what the hedonist is. The person who wants to fill their belly with every pleasure until nothing is left. They are constantly hungry, constantly seeking that feeling. Who else is the enemy of the cross? Well, those whose minds are set on earthly things. Their glory is in their shame. Right? They are setting their minds on things that are not of God, Things that are of human things, like not human as in the way we were meant to be, but human as in the broken, fallen, messed up way. So their minds are th- on things like power. Their minds are on things like money. Their minds are on influence. Their minds are on education, being the smartest in the room. Their 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 minds are on status. Their minds are on fame. Their minds are on things that are not... God, and they are enemies of the cross they they don't even necessarily know it although they they do really because everybody knows for thousands upon thousands of years everybody knows for example that money is empty it's nothing even the writer Douglas Adams in his book The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy anybody read that? Okay, that's also quite, quite good. Anyways, um, even he in that book, he talks in the very beginning of the book about how humanity is a bunch of people running around from point A to point B and back again. And, and obsessing more and more about shoving little pieces of, of paper around from place to place. Right? And he's talking about money. We're all obsessed with moving money from here to there to pay for this, pay for that, get this, get that, do this, do the other thing. And it's weird. It's weird. So people walk around or drive around, they, they go around their lives kind of oblivious to the reality that the chasing after money is meaningless. Or power or influence or fame or fill the blank. They are enemies of God even if they don't know it because it is so contrary to the gospel. But also it leads so many other people astray. Watch TV for a while or Netflix or whatever. You know, spend time on Twitter or, or TikTok or whatever. See what people are into. You find so many videos on how to do makeup, for example. Or or you see advertisements constantly for get-rich-quick schemes. How you can make $1,000 a day by just sitting in your living room or whatever, right? They're all over the place. But our citizenship, says Paul, is in... Brothers and sisters, that is so true. You are not really primarily Canadian. You're not capitalists. You're not socialists. You're not Democrats or Republicans or liberals or conservatives. You're, you're not wealthy. You're not poor. You're not white. You're not whatever. That's not your primary your identity. Your primary identity is a citizen in heaven. For many live as enemies of the cross, Paul says. Psalm 14, verse 1 says, Fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. That word abominable, um, if I can say it properly, it doesn't really have anything to do with snowmen or, or whatever. Um, It it has to do in scriptures pretty much invariably with idol worship. Whenever whenever you read in the scriptures that something is abominable or detestable to the Lord, it's really rooted in idol worship of some kind or another. People are doing terrible things in worship to other gods. And this is what the psalmist said. Psalm 54, verse 1 to 4 says uh, in a very uh, like intimate way, God, for your sake, help me. Use your influence to clear me. Listen, God, I'm desperate. Don't be too busy to hear me. Outlaws are out to get me. Hitmen are trying to kill me. Nothing will stop them. God means nothing to them. And then a little bit later, oh, look, God's right here. Help me. God on my side. This painting here uh, is fairly famous. You've probably seen it. It's called The Scream by a fellow named Edvard Munch. Um, and it is apparently he wrote on on this painting an insane person painted this at some point or another. This painting shows the haunted horror of of living life. And this is my interpretation. This is not I, I don't know what Edvard Munch himself would have said. But to me it shows the the haunted horror of living a life consumed by things other than God and how it messes with your heart, mind and soul. It draws you away from God in the same way that the the prodigal son, the the younger son, gets drawn away from his father into the worldliness and pleasure that he can find there. In contrast, in contrast, this is what the psalmist says about dwelling in God's dwelling. Now, of course, the psalmist was, it it seems, at least on the service, surface, speaking largely about the temple, right? God's dwelling place among the people of Israel. But more than that, the, the, the psalmist is also very clearly pointing to an eternal reality. Listen, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Bacha, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, the Lord of hosts. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Brothers and sisters, there are so many things vying for your attention, for your love, for your affection. I- even things that seem really good. Right? Like, like causes. Right? I- I- if if you end up being, you know, obsessed with the cause of, of, of helping to free slaves all over the world. Incidentally, there's a, there's a, a wonderful ministry called International Justice Ministry, and they, that's, that's one of the things they do, is they work with law enforcement in countries all over the world to help people um, get out from under slavery. Good, wonderful, awesome thing. But if you if you replaced that cause or used that cause to replace God in your heart, then it's no longer good. Yeah, right? If people say sometimes that, that the highest love there is, uh, C.S. Lewis talks about this, the highest love there is, is the love of a mother for her child. Well, if your love for your children outweighs your love for God, it's messed up and twisted. It's not healthy or good. If your love for your spouse outweighs your love for God, it's not how it should be, it's not right. even what seems to be good things are clamoring to pull you into them and draw you away from God. And and we have to remember, we have to remember that there is only one dwelling place, only one God with whom we really want to live. I love this painting. Obviously, the quote there is from, uh, from, uh, from Philippians. But our citizenship is in heaven. Right. Remember in Psalm 84 that we were just talking about. Even the swallow finds a place to lay her young in uh, at your altars. Right. And here we have a painting by Anaka Kai um, from Psalm 84. Um, she made it in 1996. And you can see like the 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 temple pillars there. Remember in in the Old Testament uh, when when God is instructing. When God is instructing uh, Solomon on how to build the temple and so on, uh, the pillars like this were, were part of that construction. And you can see a swallow there clearly flying towards the pillar and finding a home. And look at the beautiful light and golden colors. Being with God is more precious than anything else that could ever be. Ephesians, another letter, of course, by Paul. Ephesians 1, verse 17, uh, and 2, verse 19 to 22, say this. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know Him. So that... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also, are built together spiritually spiritually into a dwelling place for God. See, the psalmist may have been talking about the physical temple with a, with a view towards some eternal reality of dwelling with God, but we have a reality that is even deeper and better. Because God lives within us. Not that we ourselves are God, but that the Spirit of God has made us into temples. And together, as we grow together, we become a temple. Again, not because we are holy in ourselves, not because we are perfect in ourselves, but because Christ, through his blood and his sacrifice and the Holy Spirit, dwell within us and knit us together, growing us together into something beyond our comprehension beautiful and perfect the spotless bride of christ you remember in revelation chapter 21 revelation chapter 21 uh, the apostle john speaks about the new jerusalem remember that the New Jerusalem has its measurements. An angel helps uh, helps John to measure it out, however many cubits it is, high and wide and long and so on and so forth. Right? It's beautiful, it's gorgeous, it descends to earth. But notice, if you read that again, that it is adorned as a bride for her groom. I don't know, and it kind of doesn't really matter whether there's going to be a literal new Jerusalem that looks exactly like what John was talking about, I, I know that God has a place for us to dwell, that he is making places for us to live, right? Jesus says that very clearly. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But I do know that John is through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that John and Paul are linked here. We are. In so many ways, the new Jerusalem, the temple of God, the city of Zion, we are being knit together as that beautiful dwelling place for God. Brothers and sisters, this is our eager hope. Our eager hope is not in the latest Marvel movie. It's not in um, money. It's not in power. It's not in... Ambition. It's not in good friends. It's not in family. It's not in children. It's not in any of these things. It's not in causes. Our eager hope is in Christ alone. Let us pray. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. Under the shadow of your throne, your saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is your arm alone and our defense is sure. Before the hills in order stood or earth received its frame. From everlasting, you are God to endless years of the, thing, the same, the same. A thousand ages in your sight are like an evening gone, short as the watch that ends the night before the rising sun. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, still be our guard while troubles last and our eternal home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.